Peter chapter 1. Peter, of course, being uh, a, an apostle of Jesus Christ and one whom Jesus uh, uh, called to follow after him, we get a lot of enjoyment uh, with Peter. You know, Peter is uh, a bit of a roller coaster, kind of like uh, what some of us are uh, from time to time, right? The the spiritual highs and the and then the lows as well, and uh, sometimes having clear insight into uh, the things of, of Scripture, and uh, sometimes losing that sight and striking out on our own and trying to solve everything our own way. So we can relate to Peter. And Peter here, as he writes this letter, has been around for some time, and of course Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And, uh, and as we uh, look at what Peter has here to write, he is writing to a, a group of uh, folks that are located in what we call uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, he is writing to Gentiles, uh, and Peter writing as a Jew to these Gentile uh, people, uh, primarily Gentiles here, uh, he is uh, explaining some things to them and, uh, and showing them some things that he has learned from uh, his time with Jesus and his studies of the Old Testament Scripture. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, this word strangers, it doesn't really so much indicate that he didn't know them, although he uh, wasn't uh, familiar with all of them, didn't know them like you and I know one another. Uh, but instead, this word strangers has a, a connotation of somebody who is traveling through, somebody who is uh, there just temporarily, uh, somebody who is located in a place that is not their home. Now, these Gentiles, their, their natural physical home was no doubt located in these five provinces uh, of what we now call Turkey. You know, they, they had their homes there. Uh, they were not uh, like I am uh, here in Maryland where I'm just kind of passing through. You know, I came in Thursday evening. I'll be going back out this evening just kind of traveling through. And like a bad penny, I show up every once in a while. Uh, and... Uh, but instead, uh, their homes were actually there. So why did Peter refer to them as strangers? He did so because he was emphasizing that they, even though they lived there physically, yet this is our temporary place. We are just passing through this earth, if you will. We are passing through this life. And we are headed somewhere else. Now we'll see that uh, that he brings that out more evidently here in a few more uh, verses. But but that's what uh, he starts off by saying. Look, I know that you live there, but you're really. I just want you to 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 understand that you are just temporarily here on this earth. That there is something better coming. And that's what uh, Peter is going to focus on in these first few verses of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. He then calls them the elect. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now this, uh, this one verse right here has a whole lot to unpack. 
in and of itself. He is referring to them as the elect. They're strangers, that is, they're just uh, temporary here in this world. But then he calls them something that maybe they're not as familiar with. He says, elect. Elect. Now, uh, here in the United States, we know about elections. Right? We, we understand about going to the polls and electing someone uh, as our representative in, in government or what have you. And, uh, and we start that off pretty early, right? In, in a lot of schools, you'll have uh, uh, school government, student government, right? And anybody here ever involved in student government? You know, I went all through my high school without even knowing we had a student government. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I, I looked back in my yearbooks and, and there was the president uh, of the student, and I thought, I didn't know we had it. I don't remember voting, so how did they get to be? I don't know. But, uh, but thankfully, God's got this all figured out, right? And he says he is writing uh, to the elect, that is, those who have been elected by God. But he gives us three things to emphasize here in verse 2, all right here in verse 2, three things he emphasizes to show us how we are the elect. And those three things are very important because they bring to us the fulfillment of the Trinity. Now, the term Trinity is nowhere found in the King James Version of the Scriptures. You, you can look all through it and you won't find a reference to the word Trinity. But the concept of the Trinity is very much taught, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know about this concept, and we know that the Son was the Word, right? John chapter 1 tells us in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. He then goes on to tell us that this same Word uh, came down, was made flesh, right? He was made flesh and dwelt among us, uh, and, and we see. God is that way. I, I don't blame your Sister Christy. I'd cry too if I was there in my preaching. <laughs> Some guy up here yelling at you and I don't yeah, I'd cry too. But anyway, we've got here the Trinity in verse 2. First he says, he says, you're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge is uh, an interesting subject. It can be a little bit of a tricky subject because when we think of God the Father, we, we understand that He knows everything. Now, I think we're all in agreement with this, right? That God knows everything. There is nothing that God doesn't know. And that God has known everything and always has known everything and always will know everything. That, he, that He's got it all uh, under His, under his uh, umbrella of knowledge. So when we talk about the foreknowledge of God, we've got to understand uh, what particularly we're talking about in terms of foreknowledge. Because God foreknows everything and everybody. Those uh, who have not yet been born, God knows them already. You know, some of you may be uh, expecting or hoping on uh, children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Well, God already knows them, even though you don't even know them, know about them yourselves yet. So when we talk about the foreknowledge of God, we've got to figure out just exactly what he's talking about. Well, you go back to Romans chapter 8, and you see that the, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that uh, God foreknew some people, and those whom he foreknew, 
those uh, are, are the same ones he did predestinate and, and, and justify and he goes on down to glorify and, so, and God foreknows him. Well, the interesting thing here is that there was a point in time when Jesus said to a group of people who were referring to him as Lord and he said unto them, Depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Now wait a minute. Here is Jesus who is God and so therefore knows everyone. Jesus is saying, Depart from me, get away from me, for I never knew you. And in order to really understand what this foreknowledge is all about, we've got to understand about the, the word know. K-N-O-W. K-N-O-W. Now, uh, we, we've got uh, Brother Ben back here, and he's an attorney, and he can tell you that when it comes to contracts, definitions are important, right? You can define things differently in, in a contract than you would use them in your normal everyday life. And so, a lot of the times in contracts, what, uh, what will happen is they will define what it means to know something. And oftentimes we'll say, you, you know it or you should have known it. The, 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 the opportunity to know it was there, right? And so we define the word know. When you, when you look at the word know, K-N-O-W, in Scripture, oftentimes you should be thinking in terms of relationships. What does it say about Mary? When she was found with child, with uh, and, and Jesus was that child, when she was found with child, it says that she had never known a man. Well, obviously she knew her father and she knew other men in her community and such. What's it talking about? It's talking about a relationship. She had never had that kind of a relationship with anyone. And so when we're talking about the foreknowledge of God, we're talking about God bringing us into a relationship with Him. When Jesus said, I never knew you, he is saying, I have never had a relationship with you. You may call me Lord, Lord, but that's in word only. I have never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, for I never knew you. I never chose to have a relationship with you. Whereas here, and in Romans chapter 8, we're talking about God establishing a relationship with a people. And so, uh, as Peter writes here, he is writing to the elect. And one of the marks of the elect, one of the characteristics of the elect, is that they are foreknown by God. That is, God has chosen to have a relationship with them. And we know that this relationship was established even before the world began. Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and other places teach that to us. So here he is. He has foreknown uh, these people. Paul, uh, Peter is writing to the elect. They are the elect according to, and that you can read that because of, because of, number one, the foreknowledge of God the Father, that God has chosen to have that relationship with them. Now there's a second element. And the according to, the because of, relates to all three uh, items here in this verse. I was, I'm not only weird today, 
but I was weird back in high school too. And I love to diagram sentences. Does anybody here like me, you love to diagram sentences? No? You just don't know what you're missing. I mean, diagram, you, you, okay. All right, got a second one, okay. Diagramming sentences is one, it gives structure and order and helps you to understand things. I want you all to go home and diagram sentences this afternoon. <laughs> if you diagram this, this verse, you'll see that according to modifies all three of these things we're, we're talking about. First of all, it modifies uh, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father. So that's one element, if you will, of, uh, of, that, of being the elect. One element is, as far as getting there is you're foreknown by God the Father. The second is you've got the sanctification through sanctification of the Spirit, right? And so here is uh, this sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what does sanctify mean? To sanctify means to set something aside for a particular purpose. This building has been set aside for a particular purpose. And Brother James was talking about how that we need to keep a hold of this building. And, and, and that's, a, that's a legal term, right, uh, Brother Ben? A hold, right? Uh, we need to keep a hold of this building and, and use it for the purpose for which it was built and for which it was intended, right? This building is set aside for that particular purpose. And so also the Scriptures teach us that you, as the elect of God, that the elect of God are set aside for a particular purpose. That is, you have been sanctified. And so you, you might have a shovel, and uh, you're not going to use a, a, a shovel in, in order to, uh, to hammer a nail, right? Hopefully you don't have to do that. You've got a hammer that's set aside for that particular purpose. Uh, you know, and so uh, you also, as vessels in the, in the temple of God, you have been set aside for a particular purpose. You have been sanctified, and that sanctification comes through the Holy Spirit of God as that Holy Spirit of God moves within you. And this makes sense from the standpoint of what we read in Scripture as well uh, in terms of the order of things. And that is, uh, God foreknew His elect before the foundation of the world. And at a point in time, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and works its work within the life of a child of God. And that is the work of sanctification, among other things, the work of rebirth, the work of uh, regeneration. So, so we have this Holy Spirit that comes in and sanctifies us. God forgive you. The Holy Spirit comes in and sanctifies you, but you are also the elect. And we, we, we've got the third part of the Trinity here. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he brings in here the work of Jesus Christ. Now I will tell you that there are a lot of theologians who say that the, the obedience that's referenced here is the obedience of you as individuals. But to me, it's very obvious that it's referring to the obedience of Jesus Christ. 
not the obedience of me. And we all know that uh, by nature, we are disobedient children, right? We are disobedient people. Uh, we were once dead in trespasses and in sins, and, and uh, we walked according to the course of this world, according to, uh, the, and like the children of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2, right? And so we, we know that we are but disobedient people. And so God comes in and He says, well, uh, it, what is required here is perfect obedience. Not just obedience, but perfect obedience. Now, uh, those of us who have had children, we understand. And those of us who have been children, and I figure that's probably most of us, we understand that there is a distinction between obedience and perfect obedience. Right? And even if a, a child were to obey uh, according to its uh, physical uh, uh, movements and according to what you want to do physically, on the inside, they might not be obeyed. Right? They might be not so good about it. And God says what's required for the elect is perfect obedience. Well, the, the, uh, the rich young ruler says to Jesus, I have obeyed these from my youth. And can, you know, are we going to say that? Are we going to be like that rich young ruler that we, we have obeyed perfectly from our youth? No. Well, he had neither, and he found that out. He found out that there was something on the inside, even though he might have given a lot to charities, there was something on the inside of him that wasn't pure. And so what is needed is perfect obedience. It can't be our obedience. It has to be the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think about God, we think, well, how in the world would He not be obedient? And yet the Scriptures are plain unto us. For example, in Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things which He suffered. Now, that's an odd statement, isn't it? Because we would think, well, Jesus knows all about obedience because He is also God. And this is where my mind kind of gets blown, and that is uh, God is both, I mean, Jesus is both God and human all at the same time, right? He is 100% God and 100% human, and my mind says, I know that adds up to 200%, and that doesn't calculate in my little calculator up here. But it's true, God is both, Jesus is both God and He is human all at the same time. Not 50-50, but 100-100, right? And so uh, uh, that, that part of, of Jesus that is man, that is the part that learned obedience. That is the part that learned obedience. In fact, you can go back to the book of Isaiah and you can read where right after it prophesies of his being born that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth uh, a sign, right? And, and right after that, it says, Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know. That sounds like something that he needs to learn. That he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, this is Jesus in His humanity. He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. I'll give you another example. When Jesus comes to John the Baptist, 
John is baptizing in the, in the river Jordan. And as he comes down into the water to John, John says unto him, I have need to be baptized of thee, so why are you coming to me? John recognized that it would be uh, more appropriate for John to be baptized by Jesus than for Jesus to be baptized by John. Y'all with me on this? My amen corner is not doing so good over here today. Amen. We, we may have to check your cards. I mean, we got to get this. So, uh, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, suffer to be thus for now, right? Uh, we we want to, uh, you need to allow this. Why? Because thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus is saying that part of his obedience to God was to be baptized in that way. That was part of his obedience. And so also, Jesus, in other ways, Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want to obey God. There are many times that he's talking about, talking about the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about here as well. It's talking about the obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. So these three things, these three elements, make up and, and cause us to, to be qualified as the elect of God. So how do we become the elect? It's not that uh, we voted each other in, right? It's not that I voted myself in, but instead it is that God has, has voted me in, and his, he voted me in in three different ways, if you will. One, through foreknowledge. Secondly, through sanctification. And finally, through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we have the entirety of the Trinity coming together here in those ways, all of their functions dovetailing one with the other to where we are now the elect of God. And so Peter here is writing to the elect. Now specifically he's writing to those elect who are in, uh, in uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. But by extension, all of the elect, you become the elect by the same method. And so he's writing here uh, to you as the elect. And that's verse 2. Now we go to verse 3. And in verses 3, 4, and 5, we bring in, Peter brings in a, another sort of trinity, if you will. Now, not the trinity of the Godhead, because that's all covered in verse 2. And in order to understand all of 2 Peter, you have to keep in mind how Peter started the letter. He started it by talking about and, and explaining about how the elect become the elect. Because it is very important, in fact it is vital to the understanding of, of the remainder of, of 1 Peter, it's vital to underst in understanding that, to understand that you are the elect and how you became the elect, that it's all the work of God. He says then, you are blessed 
and that, that, uh, and that we need to bless God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First of all, let's understand that God is the Father of mercies. And He is the, the author, the beginning of mercies. All mercy comes because of God. We, we understand and we know mercy because God is merciful. And so He is the, the Father of mercies. And because of this abundant mercy, now here again, just like I, I mentioned about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the diagramming of sentences in verse 2, this uh, where it says, according to His abundant mercy, it is because of His abundant mercy that these next three things are true. Three, these next three things are true because He is abundantly merciful. Now how merciful is He? And we know mercy and grace go hand in hand, right? They are, uh, they are twins, if you will, that go together. Uh, we define them this way. Grace is when we receive something that we don't deserve. And so, uh, if your name is Grace, it's because your parents received something they didn't deserve. Well, maybe your mom did. But, but your dad, I don't know. Grace is, is receiving something we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not receiving something we do deserve. And so that's uh, the simple distinction between grace and mercy. One is receiving something we don't deserve. The other is not receiving something we do deserve, right? And so uh, uh, when, uh, you know, when I'm going down the road and, uh, and so, uh, I, let me give you the distinction between mercy and justice, by the way. And, and, you know, mercy is when I'm going down the road and maybe my foot is just a little bit, tiny bit heavy. It happens from time to time. My, my right foot is just a little bit heavy. And then I see a particular type of automobile that has their eye on me. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, I need mercy. Right? I don't want to receive that which I do deserve. Right? Now, when other people are going around me, and I'm thinking, why are they going so fast? Then I'm ready for justice, right? They need to get pulled up. That's at any rate. By the abundant mercy of God, He is so abundantly merciful that He has withheld from us that which we do deserve, and that is an eternity in hell. Now, I, I, there's no way that my words could emphasize enough the, the horror of hell. And, and we don't have to face the horror of hell. Why? Because of the mercy of God. Because of Him. So, he says, according to His abundant mercy, He has, number one, begotten us again. Now that is the rebirth. 
And you might recall how that when Nicodemus was talking to uh, Jesus in John chapter 3, and they talked about the, the, the uh, rebirth, and Nicodemus said, How can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb? And uh, Jesus explained that's not what he was talking about. What we're talking about is a spiritual rebirth. What we're talking about is a rebirth of the inner person. Not that natural birth, but rather the spiritual birth. And God uses natural things all the time. I know I've said this to you before, but I, I can't emphasize it enough. God uses natural things all the time to teach us about spiritual things. All of that Old Testament priesthood and sacrifices and tabernacle and showbread and all of that, all of that was, was natural to teach us about spiritual things. And so also, marriage is a natural thing, but it teaches us about spiritual, that is, it teaches us about how that we are the bride and Jesus is the groom and, and, and we come together in that way. Uh, the having of children is something that is natural. It teaches us about spiritual and, and how that uh, we are children of God and, and such. And here it talks about the rebirth. Now, we talk about adoption as well. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the natural is adopted and the spiritual is reborn and mixes together. And I don't want to, get to go down that road. That becomes too technical. But, but God is responsible for our rebirth. And so it says right here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Now in there, there's no choice that we see, but it's something that's a total work of God, that He hath begotten us again, that new birth, unto a lively hope. I'm glad that we have a lively hope and not a dead hope. You know, we, I'm glad our hope is lively, you know, uh, like our children are. They, they, they get to be kind of lively, right? I'm glad that our hope is like that and not like what I do too much of the time. Thank you, Brother John, that I sit around and eat and get sluggish. I'm glad our hope is not like that. I'm glad our hope is a lively hope. And he got, he, he, he worked this by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If it were not for the resurrection, we wouldn't have a lively hope. If it were not for the resurrection, we wouldn't have the new birth. It was, it was because God showed His power by the, re by the raising of Jesus from the dead again. And just as Jesus got new life, so also we have new life by the abundant mercies of God. And so this is the first thing. This has to be the very first and primary uh, work and object of God is this rebirth. As we are the elect of God, He then at some point will cause us to be born again. Now the work of the Holy Spirit is, is involved in that in terms of regeneration. By the way, 
I, I, I probably have used this before up here as well, but one of the things that I, I, I like is, you know, when, we, when, when Adam and Eve were first made, when humankind was first made, that was the generation, the first generation, right? And we've had subsequent generations since Adam and Eve. That was the, the generation. But pretty soon, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and because of that, there was degeneration. Because of sin, we became degenerates. Sorry if that offends you, but it's true. I didn't cause it. I'm just telling you that it's true. We had the original generation. Then we have the degeneration because of sin. And now God brings in the regeneration. The new life. The new beginning. You are a new creature as you are created in Christ Jesus. Right? Wonderful, wonderful uh, fact there. So uh, this first thing is that we have the new birth. We have this life. And as we have this life, now we are made alive in God and God becomes our Father. Right? He becomes our Father. And so we cry out unto Him as, as uh, we read in Scripture, have a Father. You know, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And by that Spirit we cry out, have a Father. He is our Father. Jesus taught us to, when we talk to God, when we pray to God, to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, right? So, He is our Father. And as He is our Father, then we have from Him, and this is the second part, this is verse uh, 4, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. Now, Corbin is sitting over here, and and who knows, he may be thinking, well, you know, when old dad dies, I'm going to get an inheritance. And he'll probably get the same inheritance that my father has told me to expect from him to inherit some bills. <laughs> and so that's not much of an inheritance, right? But thankfully, our Heavenly Father doesn't owe anybody anything. And so we, we're not going to inherit bills, but instead we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so what is it that we're looking forward to? It says that we have an inheritance. And within that verse, there are three aspects. It is incorruptible, it is undefiled, and it, is, it doesn't fade away. There's three characteristics of our inheritance. Right? That it's incorruptible. Um, you know, uh, up here, you, when you they, they put the salt out on the streets, right? Or, or, and, you know, you get that salt in your undercarriage. And eventually it causes rust, doesn't it? That's corruption. That's corruption. So we, uh, we don't have to worry about that with our eternal inheritance. It's not going to corrupt. You won't see any rust in heaven. You won't have to worry about that in heaven. It is undefiled. It is undefiled. That is, it is absolutely pure in how it is made. 
as well. It is undefiled. There's no impurities in it whatsoever. Not only can that which is on the outside not corrupted, but that which is on the inside is pure, so there's nothing on the inside that causes it to be corrupt either. So it is incorrupt, it is undefiled, and it fades not away, that is, you're not going to be able to use it up. You're not going to be able to, 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 to use it all up. You can get... I ought not say this because Brother John's already picked on me, but flour, F-L-O-U-R, that kind of flour, right? And and that kind of flour, you can get the purest form of that flour, you know, and make sure that nothing gets on the inside of it and you can bake me a cake. You knew I was coming, you should have baked a cake. <laughs> now that was an old song, right? I mean, that, that's a reference to an old song. Uh, most of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, and, and it can be the most pure and such, but eventually you're going to use it up. If you use it, you're going to use it up, right? And, and so it, it goes away. Our eternal inheritance is not like that. It doesn't get used up. It doesn't go away. If I left Corbin, going to get his hopes up here, if I left Corbin a million dollars, I can assure you, he's going to use it up. <laughs> Don't feel bad. I would too. If, if Papa left me, I mean, I'd use it up too. It wouldn't take long. And so, But thanks be to God that our inheritance is incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. And also, the cherry on top is, it's reserved in heaven for you. I am so conscious of all the food metaphors I use now. Thank you, Brother John. The cherry on top is that, it, that it's reserved in heaven for you. Now, the reservation has been made. And who is it that made the reservation? The same one who elected you is the one who made your reservation for you, thankfully for that. And it's, so it's reserved there. So you don't have to, to worry about somebody is already up there, beat you there, you know, and they're using up your inheritance. No, your inheritance is reserved for you. And then we see this third aspect. You who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And here we get the preservation of the saints. And I would imagine most of you are familiar with that acronym of TULIP, right? We've got the T-U-L-I-P, the total depravity, the unconditional election, the limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the preservation of the saints. Here we see the preservation of the saints. Right here. You are kept by the power of God. Now, I've made given Corbin some hope here. I, I'm going to make him worry a little bit too because guess what? I have the legal authority to not include Corbin in my will. Whoops. And so... Uh, that that that's something that I could do, right? That I, that I have that authority. Well, thankfully, God has chosen 
to keep you in the will. You are kept. Not only in the will, you are kept by His power as a child of His. And so uh, we have this, this uh, blessing from God that according to His abundant mercy, He has given us new life. According to His abundant mercy, He has given us an inheritance. And according to His abundant mercy, He keeps us so that we don't fall finally away. How did Jesus put that? Jesus said it this way, I have you in my hand, and my Father, who is greater than all, has you in His hand, and no one can pluck you out. You remember Jesus saying that? Okay, I'm going to have to give some more homework if y'all don't start saying yes or amen or something. I, 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 you know, I'm not Steve Boyd. I expect feedback. So, yeah. You remember that, right? Jesus said, we are within the hand of God. Nobody can pluck us out. And thanks be to God, in this case, we are all nobodies. When it says nobody can pluck us out, it means that I can't even pluck myself out. I can't pluck you out, and I can't pluck myself out, right? That's how secure we are in God. That we can't even cause ourselves to, to be cast off by God. And so he says, you who are kept by the power of God. I like that word power. It's the word, the, the Greek word is dunamis. It's the word from where we get our word dynamite. God is powerful. How powerful? It's all powerful. Omnipotent is the word for that. He is, he is omnipotent. He has all power. There's nobody that can overcome God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against that which God has established. God is all powerful. You are kept by the power of God through faith. Now faith is an important aspect of all this. We don't have time this morning to get into it. But you know that the faith that you have is given to you by God. He has given unto you, Scripture says, the measure of faith. Now, out in Corbin's car right now, uh, there's a, a, a teaspoon tool, right? There's a thing, teaspoon. What, what do you call it, Sister Tracy? I don't know. You know, it's what you'd have in your kitchen, right? Measuring spoon. Thank you. Thank you. Measuring spoon. There we go. I don't cook. No, I don't cook. I do eat. John, I'm just going to go to you every, all day long. We know, brother. We know. All day long. I, I, I told him this morning, I said, you know, Brother Steve's not here for me to pick on and make nerves, so I've got to find somebody, and it's guess John. So, why did I bring that up? I, why did I bring it? Oh, the measure. The measure. Right. God has given unto you the measure of faith. And... And you don't need any more and you don't need any less. I know a lot of you probably you probably cook with pinches and dashes. But but God has measured it out and has given you the measure of faith. 
and you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves Amen. it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast and Jesus uh, we know is the author and the finisher of our faith and so we are saved by the power of God we are kept by the power of God through faith all the way to salvation now there's two types of salvation in scripture eternal salvation and timely salvation and y'all are all aware of that timely and eternal salvation we're talking here about the eternal salvation you are kept all the way unto that salvation which is ready to be revealed in the last time God's going to keep you all the way. And that day of salvation is coming. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That day of salvation is coming. And God is going to keep us all the way there. And then we're going to be taken to heaven. And we don't have to worry about any more about this disease and sin and, and uh, old age and, and our weight. <laughs> had to get that one so these are the blessings God God the Father foreknew you God the Holy Spirit sanctified you God the Son obeyed the plan and, and shed his blood so that those could all come together so that you could be the elect of God who then receive these blessings from God of a new life, of an inheritance, and of eternal salvation. Now that's a wonderful message right there. Would you agree? Yes. Now every one of you say amen because you know it. Amen. That's a, I mean, that is astounding. Peter brings all of that in to these strangers who are scattered abroad in Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Pontus. Oh, oh, oh. He brings that in because he wants them to be established in that truth. Because guess what he says next? He says you're going to have trials and tribulations and troubles and a lot of other T words that are going to come your way. And so it is with us as well. We have trials, we have tribulations, we have troubles, we have problems, we have persecution. We, we have all these issues that we have to deal with. Peter says, you're going to deal with those. But remember that you are the elect by the work of the entire Trinity of the Godhead. And that you have been given new life and an inheritance and preservation. So that whatever you go through, whatever you endure, none of that will separate you from God. None of that will cause you to lose your inheritance. None of that will cause you to lose your eternal life. What a great message. What a great way to start off the letter, right? How Peter has done it. So, even though now you are in 
heaviness through manifold temptations. And your faith is tried. In spite of that trial, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejo rejoice. Because the work that God has done is a perfect and complete work which cannot be undone by anyone. Amen. 